1: I hope you are happy, joyous, and free. This morning, we uh, offer a way of living that is ultimately nonviolent, and the great payoff in that is that one feels happy, joyous, and free. You don't have to carry around that feeling that you're responsible for the death of another being. It's better for us. It's better for the planet. It's better certainly for the animals. And so we are so delighted that we can share this way of living with you. If you are listening or watching, this is a new way of living that's really an old way of living, but that will truly, truly transform your life. So please know that. And uh, I am so incredibly, incredibly honored and excited to introduce today. Wow, do we have an incredible show for you. This truly, the project that we're talking about today can transform the world. The women who are appearing here with a variety of groups, including in defense of animals and animals and media are asking the associated press to change the way they refer to animals. Animals are not it's animals are sentient beings. They have deep emotional lives, intellectual lives, and we should not call them it's. And that's a very simple thing And yet it seems so hard for the mainstream media to give that very simple acknowledgement to animals and say, hey, you're a being, you're not an it. So Deborah, I will start with you. What inspired this campaign and what are the far reaching implications of it?
2: Jane, thank you. And it's such an honor to be here today. Um, The implications are far-reaching. When you pose this question, as I did a few moments ago to my animals and media class, journalism class, I asked what might the consequences be of thinking of an animal as a someone and not a something, and I was met with silence, mostly, and then a few comments about, oh, if we started thinking of them as having names, having Um, a gender assignment, thinking of someone as she, if you're telling the story of a life of a dairy cow, um, we might start caring about them and what their experiences might be. And from the very beginning with this work, that for me expands more than two decades of thinking about who is the most marginalized in society and do media representations Tend to present limited opportunities, not only for having voice, but for uh, sharing one's point of view, I began to look at how the marginalization of human beings and that led me to see the natural outcome being, wait a minute, does the treatment of one depend on which species they belong? And the answer is a resounding yes. Particularly if we don't consider other beings as having perspectives, points of view, or differing experiences depending on which uh, sex that animal is, male or female, um, in biological terms. And we see the implications of this very often when, for example, in a 4-H group takes an animal to the county fair and decides to name that animal that they've raised. And then they learn what's going to happen to that animal after the 4-H fair ends. And uh, the animal is not a number, but a name. We care. We begin to care. And, oh, my God, the radical possibilities of thinking about other beings as as someones in the world, um, all motivated as as Alice Walker and others have written
1: by love. Beautifully said. So let's get into the details here. Carrie Freeman, Alicia Graff, you've both been very involved in this. IDA, In Defense of Animals, is an incredible organization. Alicia, what exactly did you ask the Associated Press to do? And this wouldn't affect just the Associated Press. It would people take this cue from Associated Press. It would have wide ranging ramifications across all media. What exactly did you ask the Associated Press to do? And I'll say right now, we invite the Associated Press on anytime. We would love to dialogue with them. Alicia.
3: Um, well, specifically we asked them to apply a personal pronoun for non-human animals when writing about them. Um, the guidance currently is kind of close, but not quite there. And you just see it a lot in the media where, you know, animals are that and it and which and think it would make a big difference if we were referring to them as who and giving them a little bit more of a voice in the stories that are being told about them?
1: Not only that, but when I use, for example, Grammarly or other um, word check things, they'll constantly, because I always say who, at JaneUnchained.com, we do stories every day and we always refer to animals as who, they'll correct me then right. I have to go in and uncorrect their correction. And that is so frustrating. So, Carrie Freeman, um, what response? has the Associated Press given? And how was this delivered? Uh, I know it was a huge campaign. I believe that there were a lot of people and a lot of organizations that get involved. I certainly signed on with Jane Unchained and I know other media um, for animals did as well as the Center for Biological Diversity and Jane Goodall, who is my hero. Uh, So uh, it's, it's not just like a couple of people. Tell us the scope of this.
4: Well, I have to credit In Defense of Animals and Alicia for contacting Deb Merskin and I, because even though we started Animals and Media probably like six years ago and have had on our website that the AP should make these changes, and we have all these guidelines at animalsandmedia.org for uh, respectful journalism. Um, she and I are professors full-time, and so we work on other things, and we really hadn't pushed the Associated Press to make the changes. And so in defense of animals, uh, really for the last six months, we've been talking to a lot of influential uh, people in the eco and animal protection movement to show them this letter like, hey, do you want to sign on to this letter that asked the Associated Press to start using he, she, or they to describe an individual Uh, animal as a sentient being instead of calling them it. And so um, over 80 different leaders in animal and environmental protection and a lot of professors uh, signed onto this list, Dr. Jane Goodall being one of them, lots of biologists. And so actually it was just, it was a letter from Deborah Merskin that was sent a week ago to the Associated Press editor, Paula Froke. Um, I have not, I don't think that we have received any um, response from them yet and but there was in the Lady Freethinker, um, a journalist there seemed to have approached them, and and Alicia, you can chime in too if you. It's but it seemed like in in her reporting, because uh, we did send out some media releases a few days later, and so it's possible that some journalists them then are following up and being pushier than we have been <laughs> in kind of and provoking a response from the AP. But. Um, the Lady Freethinker article did say that um, the AP considers um, updating their guidelines like once a year, and so this is something they would consider. So I think, because I think it's long overdue, so I think what we would have to do is figure out when they're going to be considering it and then be ready to come back again with, okay, so what is your decision and, you know, are are you going to change anything, Um, Because, I mean, it's really just ridiculous that we're still using the term it to describe, I mean, it is something you, that's an inanimate object. I mean, that's a pen or, you know, a a desk or something like it just is actually inaccurate. And so that's another reason, in addition to all the eloquent things that Deb, (laughs) Deb Merskin said about the reasons we should be respectful to other animals because they deserve it. It's also just more accurate to describe, um, like, my dog back here as he, uh, or that's, he's not it. And even if you wanted, if you don't know, what we're also asking is a lot of the times you don't know the sex of any individual, Um, like, especially when we're talking about um, animals in the wild, like, you know, when you're reporting on them, you may not know uh, their gender, so you should just say they, or you can say he he or she, but not just say it. And I don't know, Jane, if you've noticed just even how many of us as animal activists still accidentally will say it because it's so common in society that even animal lovers who respect animals will describe um, an animal who they don't know that individual yet. They'll say it. And so it's also I think we need to check ourselves. And I've been trying to do this for over a decade, so I've gotten myself definitely out of the habit of saying it. But it's pretty common in society. But if journalists... um, inspired by the AP guidelines and Grammarly and all these different <laughs> word check um, systems said, yes, um, we should say he or she and not it and who is appropriate. Um, then it would just become more normal. And then the repercussions that, that Deborah Murskin was talking about is suddenly, um, you know, it, you're eating, you know, a lot of the, the animals being eaten are, are female. So like, Yeah, let's talk more about you're eating her leg right now or her breast. Isn't that one of the reasons
1: why they're so resisted? Because denial is what humans do to protect themselves from having to change from having to look at things and this allows the denial to continue and uh so it's such a powerful powerful idea and of course we deal with speciesism in language and i think we've all corrected i've corrected myself many times, uh, where I'll say something that is speciesist. I no longer say things like let the cat out of the bag, but there's more subtle ones. And you find yourself saying that's a can of worms or or uh, kill it in. And PETA's come up with feed tubers (laughs) with one scone. And in fact, for a while there, I was thinking, what a great book if we made a list of all the speciesist terminology and came up with fun alternatives, like feed two birds with one scone, which I'm inviting you uh, ladies in this arena to please go with that book. Let's yeah, do well, it. I think Joan Dunyer
4: <laughs> has written a lot about non-speciesist yeah. language, too. I don't know that she has a ton of fun replacements, but she definitely has uh, replacements that are much more respectful. And, and I want to also read to you, like, on our animalsandmedia.org website, when we talk about terminology that can be used beyond just the avoiding the term it, we also have some other um, recommended terms like instead of necessarily saying pet, you can say um, companion animals or family members or canine. This is my canine family member (laughs) back here um, or just friend. And then um, it's good for us to actually put some verbs back into some of the situations where we are holding animals captive and using them. So instead of referring to them as a farm animal a lab rat you could say a rat who is being used as a research subject um, a pig who is being um, raised for her flesh or who is in you know being kept in the pork industry or a tiger who I don't is even being say used pork her I don't want to say pork anymore. right, we'll right. say pig. flesh yeah. Pig. Oh, yeah I'm gonna jump in we've got a
1: caller Sarah your question or thought Sarah.
5: Hi, how are you? Wow, I really like this topic. I wanted to give a comment and also ask a question. I think it's really important that we get the language of these uh, newscasters constantly saying, dog in this fight, out of the gate. They're just using so much speciesist language, they don't even know what speciesist means. So I think we need to write to these people in the news and ask them to please stop because dogfighting is illegal, but they keep talking about dogfighting. So I really want this to stop. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Oh, what a great comment. Um, having been a newscaster for 38 years prior to starting my nonprofit Jane Unchained, I uh, often argued with people in the newsroom. I refused to do rodeo stories as fun kickers. I refused to do <laughs> the the obnoxious DJ who wanted to throw a frozen turkey out of a helicopter as a fun story. Uh, uh, and um, also the, the language. In fact, um, on my last show at CNN Headline News, which was about crime, often uh, people would say, he's an animal. And I I always stopped them and said, why are you saying that? Animals are not sadistic. They don't abduct and torture. And uh, people would look at me like I was out of my mind. But now I think we're starting to see breakthroughs holes being punched in the wall of denial. And I agree with Sarah. We should also make a list of, we're in a politically correct world where we're finally realizing that words hurt, words are dangerous weapons. And um, people are waking up about language involving human beings and how we describe human beings. And so we can take that to the next level and make it compassionate for all sentient beings. And I think this is just the beginning of a campaign where we say these phrases are just um, we, we need to they're, they're speciesist. I, I'm not sure that I'm in love with that phrase. Oh, yeah. it's, it's kind of, there's a, an element there that could open it to, um, you know, comedic uh,
4: um, sarcasm, but it it is you could speciesist. Say human privileging or hu- sometimes I'll just it, say humanist or human privileging or something like that. It's super important though. And I think, I know, we have just a
2: little bit of time here before break, but to emphasize that on the basis of which species you belong will determine your treatment, your moral consideration or lack thereof. And almost one of the things that started this, um, at my end, thinking about it in terms of a style guide, the push for change, came from my awareness over the years of teaching and researching about marginalized human groups. And how each of these groups, whether it was the Native American Journalists Association, Asian, coming up with style guides.
1: Yes. Okay. I think it's great to have inspiration, but we have to be very careful. Yes. This uh, is where where I'm going, Jane. It's very very easy to offend people uh, by, in any way, Comparing their situation. Exactly. We had, so, we had so demonized animals that to compare any, any ba- background situation to a situation faced by non-human animals is politically incorrect and creates a lot of anger and Right, hurt. right, right. So I and- never want to go there because, um, I think that we can very easily argue for animals without making historical comparisons. Absolutely, and my
2: point with this is creating a style guide was knowing there are groups of people who say, "Look, the way I, we're being represented is not respectful. It's not informed by the knowledge I have here." The edict of the Society of Professional Journalists, providing a voice for the voiceless, is who has the least voice in their treatment in the world but animals and not saying this uh, animalizes humans, nor does it humanize animals. It says since animals do not have a voice, but clearly communicate, how can we advocate for their respectful and responsible languaging and representation in media without saying, just like the difference between equity and equality does not bring one group down, It brings fair and equitable and compassionate treatment to all living beings. And language is a crucial tool in in doing that, in doing that work.
1: Absolutely. And I think what you've done is perfect. You are approaching a major institution that sets the standard and you're saying, hey, this is antiquated. Uh, We're not living in a Ringling Brothers Barnum & Bailey circus world anymore. We are understanding the incredible um, complexity and depth and ability to suffer and ability to um, love uh, and the ability to um, do so many things um, that are not what things do. And and why this is going to have such a big impact is that. Somebody hit it here. If you suddenly make these sentient beings in language, the beings that they truly are, it's going to put in sharp relief the horrors that they are experiencing. And animals are considered in factory farming live inventory. Mm-hmm. There are insurance write-offs. And that's why in floods and uh, natural mm-hmm. disasters, they leave them locked in the concentrated animal feeding operations, a hundred thousand oh, wow. packed in there to drown to death because it's an insurance write-off. Exactly, and that's how they refer to them as live inventory, just as if they were a widget or yep. a, a piece of farm machinery. And, and that like the term livestock.
2: I mean, animals I that are that term living upon.
4: stock. Yeah,
2: animals
1: yeah. who are experimented upon are called data points. Data mm-hmm. points. It's it's. It's it's barbaric. It's barbaric and it has to end. And this is a huge, huge, huge step forward in that direction. We're going to take a short break here on Voice America Radio.
6: Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. channel the voice america talk radio network is on instagram make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows live events and around the network we want to see what you have to share as well check us out on instagram at voice america talk radio
1: we don't follow we leave join us the voice america influencers channel
0: You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show.
1: And I am holding
0: in recycled
1: paper the letter that you sent. (laughs) Very impressive. So many people, PhD, 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 signed on to this, asking the Associated Press to change its style book and stop talking about animals like it's They are beings. We've got a caller, Emic. Your question or thought, Emic.
7: Hi, everyone. Thank
1: you so much for your
7: amazing work. So I've been changing the way I talk to myself ever since I became an activist. By like, if somebody calls me an animal, first of all, I take it as a compliment. I'm like, Am I that good indeed? Because I see animals as like these amazing beings who were here before us, who are the landlords of this uh, planet. And we kill them, we mass-execute them. None of them ever does such a thing to us or anyone else. Mm -hmm. Animals don't have factory farms. Animals don't mass-rape or mass-produce any other animals. They are really respectful towards life. If anything, we have to learn from them how to be better animals ourselves. And our words create our reality. So first of all, we need to address ourselves as valuable beings. When we say, I'm stupid, I'm dumb, I can't do this, that's what we become. So if we say, I love myself, I'm smart enough, I'm good enough, then Mm -hmm. we understand what animals' minds are at because they're always at the best pace that a live being can be, which is appreciation, love, and compassion for everyone that's sharing this life together on the planet. So I think let's address ourselves as good beings. Our inner talk, when it changes, our outer talk changes, and we open ourselves to talk better with other beings that are sharing life with us on the planet. Thank you so much. Okay, um, lovely.
1: Whoa, that's so beautiful how we address ourselves internally. And I check myself constantly if I say, "Oh, Jane, you're so stupid. Why did you forget?" Stop. You know, because that is exactly what Emic was talking about. We're also animals. We need to be kind to ourselves. Yes. So where is this going? Um, it's an incredible letter. It's um, a very well written letter, and it has so many. Very respected organizations and heroic people um, signing on to it, like Jane Goodall, like the Center for Biological Diversity, In Defense of Animals, Animals and Media. The list is long. Where is it going? If she doesn't respond, what happens next, Deborah?
2: Well, you're helping us, Jane, by saying if there isn't a response, what do we do? And Alicia, I know you have some thoughts on this as well, but I think part of it is to publicize no response, Um, which is very powerful, asking why have we not had a response to this request and um, an explanation beyond what, I mean, exactly what Carrie has said, Dr. Freeman has said, is we honor deadlines and we understand how those work and saying, okay, well, not in this year, that is past. Well, then how do we assure next year to keep the pressure on to not accept no anymore and to uh, bring attention to the fact that there is a structure in place that is so resistant to recognizing animals as individuals with subjects of a life which is a very um, known quote in the animal studies world. Um, Keep the pressure on. That's what I say.
1: Uh, I have so many questions, but we've got so many callers today. Kim, your question or thought.
5: Hi, thank you. Thank you all for all the wonderful work you do. I was wondering if there's ever any push instead of calling us humans the owners of, of, you know, whether it's our dog or cat or animals, I mean, shouldn't we call them guardians? Is how about that that subject? Call call animal, uh, call us guardians instead of owners.
1: So beautiful, absolutely. Who wants to take that one, Alicia? You're in defense of animals, so why not? Well,
3: absolutely, because that's actually a big part of our guardians campaign—is that type of language as well to speak as guardians. um, ADA has worked with a lot of local uh, cities and counties to adopt that kind of language into ordinances, so we're not looking at ourselves as, like, our
1: animals as property. Um, I will say this. This is... Like going into a vortex. Like once you start talking about this, it it affects everything. I see an entire. Maybe that's what animals and media is. Um, this entire landscape of language and how we talk about. So we've already covered. Okay, the style book. First of all, you're right. Nothing happens without a deadline, Deborah. And did you give? the uh, Associated Press a deadline because look one thing I've learned covering animal rights organizations for um, well Mm -hmm. I I started on this very very in a very tiny way right around when PETA started Uh, so I've been watching this trajectory for several decades over the course of my career and Things don't change usually until there's pressure. I mean, I'll just use the analogy of fur. You know, all the fur designers were sent letters. They were all approached respectfully. They were all sent videos of uh, uh, fur-bearing animals being trapped with leg hole traps, chewing their legs off, uh, going around mad in, in circles in dirty cages, being anally electrocuted, being skinned alive. Crickets, in many cases, in most cases. Then the next stage is protests. And then the next stage is, you know, nonviolent, peaceful, but unpleasant confrontation. Uh, I dare say that's how Michael Kors, uh, it's it's my guess, ended up uh, giving up fur when he was at the Metropolitan Museum and they disrupted his pinnacle moment um, in a very nonviolent but very uh disruptive way and it was just about a month I guess later that he came out and gave up fur but he had been approached for years with letters and letters often don't work so what's step two if the Associated Press doesn't respond you you've gotten crickets you've gotten no response I mean you wrote yeah I mean we I love heard heard Lady this. Freethinker I'm a huge yes. fan and I uh, just completely admire Lady Freethinker, unbelievable uh, media organization. But you wrote the letter, they should respond to you respectfully.
4: I think so, too. Um, And well, and and Deb Merskin and I are media professors, and so it's, I mean, we're sending a media organization a request, a polite request. So I do think a response is in order. So I think next week, or this week probably, Deborah Merce can can follow up with them like did you receive I know they did receive it though if they responded to another reporter Uh, but yeah please respond to us to let us know uh, what's going on and I mean animalsandmedia.org our organization isn't really we don't do we're more educational and we have a style guide for journalists so I don't think we have plans to do all kinds of protests and different things but our plan is always public pressure and awareness and education. And so um, really from the beginning with animalsandmedia.org, the idea has been let's let activists know about these guidelines so that whenever they see news coverage that they think is not quite right, or they love the news coverage to respond to the news organization and to, you know, tell them some constructive criticism that needs to be changed. So that really like our army is all, all of you who care about these things to then. we may not want to use the word army, but yeah. (laughs) yeah. Our (laughs) peace score, our peace
1: score, our peace score. (laughs) -score. (laughs) Your question or thought. Yes. I'm sorry.
5: Um, Hi ladies. I'm I'm sorry. I was watching you at the same time. Um, I just wanted to thank you very much for bringing this to the public. Um, Basically in 2010, I started a Facebook page regarding the same project, the same issue. It has bothered me for a very long time referring to the animals as non-unanimate non, objects. I'm sorry, inanimate. Yeah. Um, and uh, the actual page is called, Is an Animal She, He, or It? Um, and some people have given me a hard time saying, an animal is not it. I said, well, just look at the page. You'll see what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> for instance, I, I basically, everything that you guys have been speaking of, I have on here. Um, If a person simply replaces the term it or thing with he or she and incorporates a gender-neutral expression into their usual speaking habits, consideration is easily shown. That's just one thing on here. Um, And it's not difficult in the least. And the problem is, as you have spoken of, people do not want to see non-humans as individuals because that would give them a mental concern. Most of them. Some of them couldn't care less. But um, I've got a lot of information on here, especially in the last day or two when this has come up. I am very, very pleased that the AP is, that we're working on the AP on this. And I just wanted again thank you, ladies, very much for your concern and strength in fighting against this.
4: Thank you well, for your website, Sarah. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I think one
2: thing we, we need, need to. to- To address, too, is, and another community um, that I know is involved in this is the legal community. And Stephen Wise and others are doing work to get animals removed legally from the category of property. And that's been one of, animals do not have legal standing, and Stephen Wise has been working on this. And part of languaging them to separate them from the category of property to, quote, unquote, personhood, which only means living being and sentience in that regard is to by giving them um an identity as an individual and in this way then moves them and differentiates my dog or your dog or cat from a chair as property right and the treatment that can happen and this is happening at certain state and local levels where we're beginning to Uh, duh, say, wait a minute, they are different than your car or your, but of course we know with farmed animals, the regard really isn't there for that. And as Jane, you pointed out before, and so getting, working with the legal community in terms of the importance of language and how to operationalize these terms is crucial for our advancing this work as well with with the pronouns.
1: Yeah. And there are similar types of Movements happening regarding a lot of aspects of animal rights and veganism. One of our new writers, I'm very thrilled to have Jordi Casamajana, who was the man who made veganism a protected class in the United Kingdom, uh, just like a religion. He was fired and he went to court arguing he was fired over his vegan beliefs and he won. And now he's writing for us and he just wrote an article that just posted uh, this morning uh, on JaneUnchain.com about an organization called Humane Beings filing legal papers in England arguing that all factory farming is illegal. And very similar to what you're doing, they got uh, more than 50 now Uh, papers that they're delivering to the court saying, look, it's bad for human health, it's bad for the environment, it's bad for animals, it's bad for climate, it's bad for and here's all the stats, this should be illegal. And that's unheard of. It's a first. So I think all these firsts are happening now because people are waking up. And it's a question of when is the dam going to burst? When are we going to hit the tipping point? Whatever metaphor you want to use, Um, The fact that we're all having these ideas at the same time indicates that it's an idea whose time has come. Um, Carrie, uh, as a teacher, I wonder if you could address that. Are your students resonating with this or are they totally silent?
4: No, I feel like I teach in Atlanta at Georgia State University and I really love the students and especially Gen Z and the, you know, these this latest generation because we started an animal rights group on campus and I'm the faculty advisor. It's called Peace Club, People for the End of Animal Cruelty and Exploitation. And it is so popular. Like we have hundreds of there's almost 500 people on the listserv um, and it's a racially diverse group of, of kids. And I feel like and they they care about intersectionality or like multidimensional activism and social justice for the human animal as well. And so that's what's really lovely about this. The youngest generation is how they're making the connections. They don't like oppression and injustice against anyone. They don't like to treat anyone unfairly Um, and. So they they also care about like the farm workers and the humans who are put in these awful conditions at these factory farms. Um, And so they want they want justice for everybody. And so I think that's lovely. Well,
1: yes. And of course, the pandemic has highlighted the horrors of what the slaughterhouse workers are experiencing because slaughterhouses have been hotbeds of COVID-19. Right. And people are getting sick and they've died. And that has highlighted yeah, it's also just highlighted uh, the fact that there are slaughterhouses. What's really fascinating, and I've actually written to some of the news hosts and said, thank you for covering the slaughterhouse issue, uh, but you keep referring to them as meat packing plants, which sounds like somebody's putting a piece of steak in a suitcase and going on vacation. They're not meat packing plants, they're slaughterhouses. They do not use the word slaughterhouse. I mean, it's so obvious that they don't want the word slaughter mentioned because they don't want to remind people that that's where animals go to be killed. Yeah. They're being mass murdered in there.
2: Yeah. or uh, The connection between, um, and there are 11 mink farms here in Oregon where I'm at the connection between um, farming of mink and, and COVID back COVID um, between humans and animals and zoonotic diseases that that are present here too. And the stories are all about us, right? They're not about the farming of these wild animals. They're not about us. There's been a little bit about us giving to say zoo, big cats and zoos, because of those, they're there for our entertainment, right? So we don't want anything to happen to them. But what about these animals who are being farmed in these windowless dark places? Um
1: Filthy, filthy places. Uh, When that happened in Denmark, where they killed approximately 17 million mink, we had on Casper Hilt, an amazing activist, who went and videotaped some of the most heartbreaking video of just hundreds of thousands of mink being put in dumpsters and their bloody bodies. And the news media coverage was uh, the industry is being hurt. The farmers are being hurt. Uh, As opposed to nobody needs a mink coat. Nobody climbs to the top of a mountain anymore wearing a mink coat. Okay. Um, It's not necessary. It's the most unnecessary um, luxury item, which to me is a contrarian indicator. Anytime I see somebody in a fur coat, I say low self-esteem, needs to wear fur because they don't feel good. Compensation. Yeah. Compensation. But um, then the World Health Organization responded by saying we need... um, I believe I read a report saying we need to look at biosecurity, biosecurity. Why not just eliminate these things? Why not eliminate? Now they say, well, jobs, but look at the jobs lost because of COVID, which I just read this morning in the New York Times, uh, the experts, the World Health Organization is saying, come on, people, let's forget about the crazy conspiracy theory about a lab. We all know that the overwhelming likelihood is that it started with animals, specifically a bat, then jump to another animal. Uh, that is because of our uh, toxic relationship with the natural world and habitats and the animals in them. And so, uh, nobody can use the argument of jobs anymore because more jobs have been lost because of a zoonotic pandemic than than anything.
4: And so, yeah, I would say that jobs also. As society changes and certain things go away because of technology or because they're no longer um, considered humane, then people or, or politically correct or whatever, we move on and, and the jobs shift. And like Mercy for Animals, that nonprofit group, one of the groups that signed on to our letter to the AP, um, they have a project called Transformation transformation, about trying to help farmers, uh, animal farmers who want to get out of kind of a dirty industry that they may have inherited or they've invested in and now they're stuck, um, try to find some other way to make a living with the land and the equipment that they have. So I feel like, that you know, and also now there's, you know, different foods we're eating. It's not like we're not eating food still or wearing other things besides fur. So you also can shift jobs. So I think we do need to be concerned about jobs. But jobs is not a reason to keep something awful that is murderous and also environmentally unsustainable, which also ends up causing harm and death. If the planet
1: becomes too hot to support human life, is that good for business? Right.
4: Yeah. I mean- (laughs) That's, ah, of course we, not. These things take time also. Like shifts happen slowly. Like, you know, as we move away from animal products and we're moving into all different kinds of vegan alternatives and then just our staple produce, organic produce that we should be eating. You know, there's still lots of things we are consuming and buying and and different innovations where people can work.
1: Absolutely. Okay, it's time for another break on
4: Voice America Radio. Uh, cue the
6: Sophia and her guests are doing this every day and are sharing how you can step into this power too. Listen to Sovereign Self every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Guarantee it will be the best hour of your week.
1: We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel.
0: listening to jane unchained to reach the show today call in to 1-866-472-5795 that's 1-866-472-5795 you may also send an email in to jane unchained news at gmail.com now back to the show
1: we are here with In Defense of Animals and Animals and Media talking about their incredible letter. It's recycled paper uh, that says, basically, the Associated Press style book instructs writers not to apply a personal pronoun to an animal unless their sex has been established or they have a name. This is too limiting to writers as well as fellow non-human animals, most of whom, whom, are discussed abstractly and thus their sex is not established. We pay respects to humans whose sex is indeterminate or gender fluid by using he, she, or the non-binary term they. The same courtesy should be extended to all animals as they are gendered being. When gender is known, the standard guidance should be she, her, hers, and he, him, his, regardless of species. Wow. This is huge. Uh, And... It's, it's very telling that the news media is not reporting on this. Um, shame on them, shame on right. them. Um, Deborah, you wanna hit that? Yeah, I agree,
2: shame on them. And this is Ben News, it is news and it's big news now with all the international organizations that have signed on to this and the endorsement of the power of language by Dr. Goodall and others saying, uh, what's the problem here? Right. And that's one of the big questions is like, what I always ask, like, so what's the worst thing that could happen if we were to start doing this? And if the AP was to start making the standard practice in there. And I think the silence is the answer about how ingrained um, I hate to throw these academic words in there, but the hegemonic structure, right? The power structure that often goes unseen, just like how you talk about spell check, will throw it back to you to say you should call an animal it. Um, we need to change this, and the time is now. Why aren't we identifying how the origins of this pandemic are human encroachment in the animal world? Why? is there that push that it's got to be a Wuhan lab spill
1: or something like
2: that? Um, The answer to me is in that silence and we can't allow that anymore.
1: And the WHO has discredited that theory. Yeah, absolutely. Highly, highly, highly unlikely. Yep. And yet Uh, it comes back
2: on 60 minutes last night. They're asking, you know.
1: People don't want to look at it. Now, uh, IDA would certainly be the, uh, perfect candidate to take this up to the next level, Alicia. I'm a huge fan of IDA. We work closely together quite often. You guys are incredibly effective. What are the possibilities? Yeah, I mean, we could take this to other
3: style guides, just approaching individual outlets and asking them to update their own house styles, seeing who would be on board. And it's it's something that like we can all just
2: be doing when we write, even if you're just putting a post up on social media or something. Yeah, and I think we need to learn to do that, right? That's part of what we're doing as educators, part of animalsandmedia.org, is to give people the the lenses to look through and the skills in order to begin to see this that is so ingrained in the system to to not do this. I also think, um, Alicia, as you mentioned, and of course, thank you for helping us bring this forward, is there need to be other organizations such as the American Psychological Institute, Eight APA style guide, which is a dominant one, which was an early identifier of the nature of language and media portrayals in the uh, damaging effects of stereotypes, racist mascots and other types of images. And there are other styles, too, that need to reflect the world the way it is and that all living beings are affected by the words we use and the images that we use to represent them.
1: So tell us about animals and media. You are both professors. Um, you're in Atlanta. You're in Oregon. Can you tell me about what your organization does beyond this? I mean, this is enough. This would be huge. And I do- oh, good, it's enough. Yeah, <laughs> I'm saying it's a lot. It's a lot. This is a big, big mountain you've chosen to climb. And I love the idea that Alicia mentioned of approaching others. I mean, I guess the AP Stylebook is the, you know, big kahuna, but- What if there's another one that would agree um, that would maybe put pressure? So society, Uh,
4: professional journalists or individual places like New York Times or The Guardian or The Washington Post or something like that. And I
2: think also I want to hand this to Carrie, but it's also important on our website. We indicate, of course, and we're talking today primarily about what we think about of as as journalists, words and images, but we also have guidelines for people in public relations, people in advertising, people that make documentary films about animals, people that make entertainment films about animals and the general public. And how the general public through letters to the editor, through uh, calling, contacting, emailing, magazines, newspapers, news outlets can use what we present there to begin to, as you say, well, if the AP isn't going to do it, we're going to do it. And who's going to do it? And that we need to, to bring that forward. So it's not only what we think of as traditional journalism, but it's also all these different forms of communication.
4: Carrie, take it away. Yeah, well, and Deb, Merskin and I, like, so we've been teaching about these things and writing about these things in um, academic journals, but we decided, well, let's get something that's out there that's open access for everybody. So we took some of what we've been trying to recommend in our classes, and we said, let's put these guidelines, these style guidelines for all kinds of media makers out there to teach them how to be more accurate and more respectful towards the more than human world. And and so, and like with journalism, one of the, some of the guidelines include some things I worked on with some biologists, Sarah Bexel and, and Mark Beckoff, about how journalists could see other animals as sources of news. And that doesn't mean that you necessarily, you know, put a microphone in, you know, in front of a squirrel's face. It doesn't have to be that kind of situation. But it's more saying, if any story that we're telling affects species beyond just the human, their interests need to be included in the story. And so yeah. sometimes that could be based on certain individual animals or maybe it's like how sprawl affects the, you know, the other wildlife in the area where you live. And so then you bring in biologists or you bring in human spokespeople to talk on their behalf. Cuz we're not worried that we're offending uh, non-human animals who are watching these programs cuz we go <laughs> they most well my dog doesn't care about electronic screens. So uh, some, some animals do, I noticed. So but are, uh, just to jump in, cause we only have three minutes. Are you creating your
1: own style book? Cause that's another possibility saying here's our style book. Please
4: use this. Yes, we yeah. have. Yes. That's been out since 2014 on animalsandmedia.org. and um, Yes. It's, it's for journalists. It's for, there's one for PR people. There's one for advertisers, one for entertainment media and the general public on, how to incorporate um animal friendly guides and respectful guides to be mm-hmm. more accurate in your reporting and, and then we want to take that it. and
2: actually make it um kind of a little volume because it could serve widely um as its own little particular volume yep you can go to
4: org. there's you know we've got like educational materials there like a Video slideshow and, you know, some of the materials can be printed out as a PDF. on recycled paper, of course.
1: Yeah. Always. And, you know, I've always said to people who are animal lovers, vegans, animal activists, and they're upset about news coverage, go to journalism school. Because um, once you get in there, that's what a newsroom is. It's just that's why it's so important to have a diverse newsroom so that everybody says this is is. news, that is news, just not one segment of the population deciding what is news. So animal lovers can get in there and advocate for animals. uh, And that can be very, very powerful. Uh, There is so much here. Can uh, a
4: journalist join animals in media? well we don't have there's really not like an organization at this point it's really um dr merskin and i just putting out these guidelines and opening it up for discussion so So let me jump in real quick because
1: we only have a minute how do people help make this happen what do they do alicia
3: well we're going to wait a second to, to see what happens with the response but after that we will come back with an update
2: yep and I would okay. say too, Jane, that what we would love to be able to add, we have experts on our list for sources for journalists to go to who could so they could report more accurately, is we would love to add a tab of journalists who are on board with what we're doing, right? If you see that and we have a Facebook page, we don't tweet very often, but it's there for Twitter, um, like us on Facebook, come see us there, put your comments there, come join us if you're behind what it is we're saying. Uh,
1: I am so excited about this. This is big. And I believe if the appropriate pressure is applied, Associated Press should respond. I think part of it is getting somebody to write an article in mainstream media about this. Um, I definitely think the Guardian might be interested in doing yeah. that. If the Guardian signed on, because they do so many great pro-animal stories, yeah, they talk about factory farming, and then you have one news media organization that is a mainstream media organization that agrees to do this, that could have a ripple effect. And I love the That's idea of journalists want. signing on. Count me
4: in. I'm I'm going to use oh, it. I we it already it. linked to Jane Unchained <laughs> as on our resource page. Oh, thank <laughs> you. But definitely, we're
2: going to have. Uh, you know, are you down with what we're saying and join
1: us. Yes, I love it. And I uh, just say one last thing we need to close, but so many journalists who are closet vegans call me all the time. I'm a reporter. I'm an anchor here. It's, I'm in the Midwest. I'm here. I want to cover animal stories. I don't know what to do. So once this gets going, you could see a lot of those people who uh, come out and say, yeah, I want to I want to do this. Yay. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. gives
4: them more permission to say, yes, yeah, some media professors Create have a said community. this should